You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. It's Monday the 21st of February. It's a wild, windy, woolly day here in TW11. I'm back home for a couple of days before heading back off to Riyadh for the Saudi Cup this Saturday. And we'll be looking ahead to that during the course of the week. Today I'll be talking to Green Channel's Nahiro Goda about the strong Japanese challenge for the race. We'll be recapping all the action from the weekend in UK, Ireland, Hong Kong in the company of J.A. McGrath and most importantly perhaps Australia with Coolmore's Tom Magna and news of home affairs likely trip to Royal Ascot. Big news over the weekend came once again from Paul Kimmage, an Irish investigative journalist whose independent on Sunday article was headed online. Paul Kimmage investigates Irish horse racing's dirty secrets. This is a complex, intricately woven and compellingly told story that Jane Mangan and I will be talking about in a few moments' time. But first of all, Jane, let's reflect on the weekend action. Albeit that it was somewhat interrupted by the weather, we could have seen one performance that uh, made the champion hurdle that little more spicy than we thought. Chupo, who was the winner for Robbie Power and Gordon Elliott of the Red Mills trial at Goran Park, has he made a Honeysuckle's task any more difficult? A fraction. He certainly booked his ticket. The Red Mills trial was an impressive performance. He beat Durasso, who's 155, rated 155. He beat him 11 lengths. The horse who he narrowly beat at Limerick at Christmas was Calixios, last year's Triumph World winner, and he beat him out of sight, albeit Calixios probably didn't turn up. But De Hupo has a habit of winning. This is his fifth win from six starts. And I think he's probably a horse that we haven't yet to see the best of he keeps just improving with every run and while it's difficult for five-year-olds heading into open company Aspire Tower in these colors ran a good race in the triumph hurdle last year or in the champion hurdle last year unless we forget Esper Delin actually did manage to win the champion hurdle as a five-year-old so it can be done and in a champion hurdle that's lacking a little bit of depth outside of appreciated and honeysuckle I think he's certainly thrown his hat into the ring all right, Jane, let's put it like this. Honeysuckle, you and I are both going to you know, be fully paid up and signed up members of the Honeysuckle fan club. There's nothing bad to say about her, but her best racing post rating is 166. Tihupu, Tihupo's best racing post rating is 165, and that came uh, yesterday at Gorham Park. Appreciate it, 165. Epatant, 163. There's not a right lot between all these horses at their best, according to the ratings. And then the ratings don't really reflect that Honeysuckle is a near flawless record. And when she turned up at Cheltenham last year, nothing got near her. She's almost, we're almost saying, oh, the horses around her are not, it's not a vintage crop. I think she's just making good horses look ordinary, personally. And we're kind of clutching at straws with appreciated banking on the genius of Willie Mullins because how often would you consider a horse who's never run an open company, a legitimate contender to the likes of an Istabrak? So... The champion hurdle, while it mightn't be the deepest of races, it's got different facets to it that make it an original renewal of the race. 
And that's a, a very good way of putting it. I was trying to just maybe get away from the idea of going into the meeting, just saying, yep, she wins, move on. Perhaps, yeah. I, I just think I, I'm okay with going into a race hoping to see brilliance, hoping to stretch an unbeaten record, hoping that the star attraction does what we expect her to do. And that's what I think this year's Champion Herd will all will be about for me personally. Okay, what else impressed you, if anything, over the weekend? Well, you have to take your hat off. Willie Mullen skipped the Dublin Racing Festival with Mellon. He could have easily gone to the Irish Gold Cup and ran placed again. Mellon, obviously, fourth and four Cheltenham Festivals, two champion hurdles. And we've known how good he is consistently placing at the highest level. But he hadn't actually won since December 2019. And it just shows when a grade one horse drops down in class to grade two company, he absolutely trounced his rivals in um, grade, grade two company in the Red Mills Chase. I was impressed with good, good risk at all at Ascot. And Fakir Duderiz, it was a real dour test in the Ascot Chase. I thought Mark Walsh timed his run very well. Had he gone for two for gold off the bend, he might have got out battled. But he waited. And he. I think that was a good bit of placing from Joseph O'Brien. The horse is now a three-time grade one winner. Wouldn't be surprised if he skipped Cheltenham and went to Aintree for the race he won last year. But Fakir Duderiz and Mark Walsh, a rider who often does not get the credit he deserves because he's such an unassuming guy, did his talking on the track at Ascot. JP McManus doesn't do skip this skipping Cheltenham nonsense though, does he? JP doesn't live for skipping Cheltenham. If they're in the green and gold, they go to Cheltenham, especially a horse who's run well there before. All Allah has to do is run one bad race, underperform, tip up at the first not start, tread on a stone, whatever. And the horse is right in the mix. Uh, <laughs> the horse will go for whatever race he's most likely to win. And is that going to be the Ryanair chase where he got, already got trounced by Aloha this year? Or could he go to Aintree and be the best horse there? Both. He's as hard as nails. We've seen that. We've seen him do it. He ran at Cheltenham last year. He won at Aintree. JP does not leave horses out of the festival. Okay. Well, if he's, if he's not going out of the festival, what did you think of Hillcrest and his credentials after oh. getting back onto winning the race oh. at Haydock. Right. Well, so here's the thing. I, even though Hillcrest has impressed a lot of people and people love him because he's big and he's trained by a trainer who doesn't often get the limelight, say the Mullins or the Hendersons do, he, he's still, I think, a bit underrated. But by the market, anyway, he's eight to one for the Albert Bartley. He's six to one best price non runner, no bet. Jane, I, I think he should just be a clear favourite, full stop. I think he should be a Seven to two shot, three to one shot, maybe even shorter. See the way he pulled up at Haydock with his ears pricked. He, he's he's an un, he's a difficult horse to uh, get a real grasp on because he looked at the top of the straight in Haydock like he might be in a little bit of trouble. That Crystal Glory was going to get to him, and then he ends up winning idly. You know, he's he's a horse that the further he goes, it seems to to bring out the best in him. And yeah, he's probably an underappreciated horse in a wide open Albert Bartlett field. And then did your heart break for Bristol Demai or did you were you happy that the Galloping Bear, who was receiving stone and five pounds, got up to win the Grand National Trail? Not really. I wanted Bristol Demay to win. I thought it I thought it would have been a a better story, but I was very pleased for Ben Clark and Ben Jones, two um young trainer and jockey respectively, making their way. It's good for them and, and Bristol Demay you know, ran his heart out. I didn't love it as a spectacle, Jane, to be honest. I didn't love it at all. I I, I don't I don't enjoy three finishers in a race with the, the, that caliber of horse and and strung out like washing. And I, I think I just think in these races in in, in Britain they go too hard too early and they don't give the horses a, a chance to get home. They need to, they need to kind of hack round when the ground's as bad as that. 
Yeah, and, you could um, say you know, Mellon was a good example of that because Paul Townend dictated affairs and he crossed the line with, you know, n- not, none of those horses were staggering home. And on what was heavy ground at Goran Park, the other way to look at the contrast of that is that Bristol Amoy was actually on the pace, but that's the way he always races and horses that tried to stay with, with him, m- many of them pulled up, but it was a brilliant run from the 11-year-old and in, in, in ground like that, weight really would stop trains. All right, so that's what happened in the UK and Ireland over the weekend. And a reminder, that cancelled card from Navin, the Boyne Hurdle card, takes place again tomorrow, Tuesday, weather permitting. And it looks a pretty good card as well. Jane will be back in a moment to talk us through this Paul Kimmage article and its ramifications. But first of all, we're going to head to the rest of the world to find out what happened there. We spoke a lot about Golden 60. We speak a lot about Golden 60 on this show, a firm fixture in the TRC rankings top 10. But for how long, I wonder? J.A. McGraw, what happened? He was beaten again. Nick, I think the thing that we didn't factor in when you and I spoke last was that the ground ended up being what Hong Kong pundits would uh, deem to be soft. Uh, it probably wasn't by European standards, but, you know, it was definitely rain-affected, and uh, that actually was the reason why they strung out a bit. Anyone who watched the race could see that they were, uh, quite a few of them were labouring in the ground. You've got to remember that in Hong Kong, by and large, 90% of the, of the uh, racing takes place on a good-to-firm surface. So, you know, he did labour a bit, but I think the most decisive thing about the race was it coming to the turn, uh, Vincent Ho rode his usual race, going four and five wide around them, staying out of trouble. And Blake Shin, who was on the, the, the winner, Roman Emperor, went to the inside, and he probably saved four lengths at least going to that inside. It was a brilliant ride, actually, because they were together in last position, going down the back straight with about uh, five furlongs left to go. Uh, and Vincent went to the outside, Blake cut the corner, went to the inside. He got the run, and it was a magnificent piece of riding. So a big one for Blake Shin. Yeah, everybody was very forgiving of, of Golden 60's defeat last time, even uh, allowing for the soft ground. I suspect the Hong Kong punters are going to be slightly less forgiving now, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, he won't be idolised to the extent that he was. I mean, he was regarded as invincible. Uh, but I don't think that was his ground. Uh, certainly not the way he was ridden. Um, and I personally think that he probably uh, relishes a little bit of giving the ground being a Medagliadoro. You know, I think he does. However, you can't give away uh, five mm-hmm. lengths by by a decisive move like that on the home turn. Uh, uh, you know, it was... it was. You know, I'm not saying that he got beaten because... Well, I'm saying that he... He should have been a lot closer. Yeah. I'm not saying that he would have won, but I'm saying he should have been a lot closer. And, of course, the winner was the ex-Coolmore horse Russian Emperor, who many of you will know plenty about, and he's actually just started to find his stride in, in Hong Kong. Yeah, he has. You know, he was placed in the derby. He, he was, you know, he's always been well regarded, but, you know, assume, you're assuming that he came with a very, very high price tag. Uh, he, of course... As far as Australians are concerned, he's out of the great mare Atlantic Jewel, who was an absolute champion in her time. And uh, she went over to, to um, uh, Europe and was covered there. And he's the product. So uh, he's, um, you know, he is a blue blood as far as Australians are concerned. Maybe not so in the Northern Hemisphere. But yeah, he got his day out. That was his day. There's no doubt about mm. that. And he's got the big one that his breeders in the uh, in the original stages, the initial stages, were probably hoping for. 
Yeah, and this is Blake Shin's day as well. And there was an added little bit of significance that the commentator referred to or alluded to just as they crossed the line. Shin, he said, gained his redemption at the hands of Golden 60. What was he referring to? I think he was referring to the derby. I was puzzled myself. This is the Hong Kong derby of two years ago, 2020, uh, when Golden 60 got up and and, uh, he was riding a, a horse called Playa del Priente who um, he rode a, a really, really uh, intelligent, gutsy race out in front. He almost nicked it. He went about five lengths clear, almost stole the race, uh, and he started at extravagant odds uh, and uh, just got nabbed on the post. Well, we were talking about an ex-Coolmore horse, Russian Emperor, winning in, in Hong Kong and, and springing a little bit of a surprise. There wasn't that much of a surprise as regards the result of the, the lightning stakes at Flemington, which was won in the Coolmore Silks by Home Affairs, who we've been talking about was the ride at the mount of James MacDonald, a tough, a tough call for him, deserting his old friend Nature Strip, who ran an amazing race. Uh, to finish second, but it was the new kid on the block, the very exciting three-year-old, the horse that Chris Waller, both their trainers, described as a monster last year that came out on top. Um, Coolmore's Tom Magna joins me now. Tom, I saw some footage of you leading the horse in. Uh, You looked wildly excited, it would be fair to say. This clearly meant an awful lot to everybody. Just tell me why. Uh, Hi, Nick. How are you getting on? Good. Um, Listen, it, it was a huge result for the farm because obviously we broke home affairs in and the guys picked the horse out of the sales but I suppose you know there'd been such an incredible build up the last couple of weeks uh, with Nature Strip and Eduardo and they were saying you know two of the best possibly the best they believe the best sprinters in the world to be taking each other on uh, down the straight of Flemington uh, in you know one of the, the most historical races in this country and then the three year old comes in and Choisir uh, one of the three-year-old colt, but no one had won it since Fastnet uh, as a three-year-old. So there was, um, you know, effectively we were the underdog. Um, James McDonald got off Nature Strip to ride our horse. He always he's been a big believer uh, in this colt. He thinks he's improving a lot all the time. But listen, be fair, James gave him a great ride, and listen, Nature Strip was there, and it, it was a very exciting race, and. Listen, I suppose down here, there's there's such a build-up to these races and there's a lot of pressure, I suppose. We probably let the gas valve out a little bit uh, when the horse passed the post. Probably didn't really uh, believe quite what had happened. <laughs> but listen, we're just extremely grateful uh, for the horse that we have, you know. Was it one of those sort of quite rare but very kind of pure moments in, in your business? And, and it is a business and a big one at that where you think, Actually, this is this is why we do this. This is this is why we're in this game. A hundred percent. I remember being in America when American Pharaoh uh, crossed the, the line in the in the Triple Crown. You know, the hairs were standing up on the back of your neck, and you're kind of you see the whole the whole of you know America's watching watching you know that race, and uh, you know at the weekend here in Australia, the whole country, uh, every bar, every bookie shop, every view is in there watching the, the race to see how it would come out. And I suppose, listen, we all know we've been in this game a lot. You know, there's, there's plenty of moments when it doesn't go your way. But we're very fortunate, very lucky. And thanks to a great uh, day by James McDonald, it went our way. And yeah, listen, it was just, it was up there with, you know, some of the great moments. Uh, he's a, a very interesting horse pedigree-wise as well by I Am Invincible, who's made such a huge impression in the, in the Southern Hemisphere. 
do you do you feel though that you can get another good full season out of him? And, and crucially, do you feel that he's a horse who can come to Royal Ascot and do and do his bid as Chris Waller suggested? So the plan would be the horse is pulled up uh, well from the weekend, and all being well, then we'll go to the new market, which is in uh, down the Strait of Flemington uh, in two weeks' time, uh, over six furlongs. All being well after that. Um, we're going to go to England. We'd like to go to Royal Ascot. Um, obviously, Chris has um, Nature Strip and Home Affairs both uh, effectively. He's booked both the plane ticket to go to Royal Ascot. And it'd be hugely exciting uh, to see what happens. You know, you'd, you'd have to think that maybe Nature Strip would run on the, uh, on the um, Tuesday and that Home Affairs would run on the Saturday. But listen, there's a lot. There's a long way to go between now and then, um, and obviously we've got Golden Pal uh, over in America, who Wesley's obviously targeting for Royal Ascot as well. So, I think when you have the best of Europe uh, going down the, the down Ascot Strait, and you have the best of America and the best of Australia, I think it's really got people in Australia talking that it's it's going to be a real international. We can roll out got again this year, which is fantastic. Yeah, but that that's actually a really important point for I think for all of us, isn't it? Because Ascot was so enlivened by the the presence of Choisir in in two thousand and three, and then what what that begat, you know, takeover target and scenic blast and Miss Andretti and and on and on to to Black Caviar, and since then. Yeah, America's been there with Wesley and others, but but Australia really hasn't. So do you feel there's a do you feel there's an appetite now in Australia to kind of come back and 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 uh, bring back bring back those times? A hundred percent. You know, Ascot is is the world stage, um, and that's where that's really where everybody wants to be. Like you know, obviously the prize money in Australia is is gone through the roof at the moment, um, but you know. Everybody, the prestige of Royal Ascot, and you know, like for us, we dream of standing these horses dual hemisphere. And if you want to stand these horses dual hemisphere, really, you have to show, you know, they have to show up in Europe, and people in Europe have to see what these horses are made of, and and is the hype justified behind them? He's one of those now, isn't he? He's one of those that, having won this the other day, whatever he does now, he's a pretty precious commodity. Yeah, he's he'll be very he'll be he'll be a big news story down here when he goes to stud. Um, you know, he's a very well-bred horse. He's a very good-looking horse, and he's got an engine. Um, so, listen, there's a long there's a we've got a few uh, we've got a few days left on the dance floor yet with him. Um, but you know, listen, we've got some great we've got some great partners. You know, Derek Smith and and George Van Opel and Joe Poolen involved in this horse, and you know they. Royal Ascot is really what they love, and, and if, if if we we can bring a horse uh, from Australia uh, up to England, you know, for your new market to Royal Ascot, it'd be, you know, if, yeah, as you said, it'd be back to the days of you know fast Chaudière and Merchant Navy, so you think, and you know, to relive those moments again would be great. Coolmore's Tom Magna there. Now, the most important newspaper article to read over the weekend was that in The Independent on Sunday in Ireland by investigative journalist Paul Kimmage, who you'll remember, you might remember, spoke to Jim Bolger extensively about the alleged use of performance-enhancing drugs in Ireland last year. Bolger then confirmed his own fears on this podcast a couple of days later, and the story has rumbled on. Now Kimmage, it seems, has peeled back another layer and has gone deeper into this story with a, a curious and interesting twist to 
involving the currently disqualified trainer Stephen Mann. Mann disqualified for matters entirely unrelated to performance-enhancing drugs. Jane Mangan back with me. Jane, for those who haven't been able to get a copy of this or are simply too lazy to read it, uh, give us your edited highlights or lowlights. Well, there's there's two parts to this. Uh, this Sunday's was the first of two, where Steve Mahan, he Paul Kimmage gives the whole background to Steve Mahan, how he grew up and his how he got into racing, how he worked with Kevin Prendergast, and how he began training. And fast forward on a few pages, and he's talking about how he was disillusioned coming home from the races. He was full sure a horse is going to run well, and he just couldn't figure out what happened. So he's talking to a friend of his who, for the purpose of this article, is referred to as John Doe. This friend also used to hold a training license and now works for a prominent Irish yard, and that trainer is called Trainer X. Um, He's speaking to his John Doe friend. He said, he called me one night when I was struggling, and he said, it's not the horses, it's what you're running against. Steve Mahan asked, what did he mean? John Doe replied, you want to see the shit the horses are getting in trainer X's. They come in the back gate as pigeons and they go out to the races as ostriches. Everybody talks in racing. This is quoting the article. Uh, It was John Doe who talks to Mahan about everything he had seen. It was Mahan who talked to Bulger about everything he'd been told about trainer X. And it was Bulger who talked to Mahan about the best way to proceed. So this article is tying together a few stories from Jim Bulger threading through Steve Mahan and including then Dr. Lynn Hillier, the chief veterinary officer for the IHRB. So it's peeling back, if you like, one layer of the onion. So we now know with whom Jim Bulger had been conversing to then um, start the ball rolling. And, and so th- this is sort of giving us some information as to how, how Jim Bolger got hold of some of that information. He and Stephen Mahan have an association that, that goes back some way. And just to fill, fill everybody in again, Stephen Mahan is currently serving a significant and very lengthy suspension for more than one uh, incident of um, animal welfare regulatory breaches. Um, so his, his reputation is in tatters as things stand. So we're being invited to draw some interesting inferences about what the motivations of the IHRB might be, Jane. How worried do you think we should be from what you've read? And what are the what are the most pertinent points here? Maybe we now know what drugs were being used because John Doe refers to or names a number of drugs. And this is actually on a text between Steve Mahan and Lynn Hillier dated July 2020. So bear in mind that Jim Bulger didn't actually go public with his concerns until October 2020. So July 2020, a text between Hillier and Mahan on his phone, it reads that the brands of injectable testosterone are Sustaverol 250 and Propoverol 100 being pumped into Trainer X's horses. That is, there are two things that we now know. Now, that, that was a big question mark before what was being used. So one is basically a muscle supplement and the other being a supplement of testosterone. And then they go on to mention the powder, Equisalon, which is used as a... Um, it's used as an airway, uh, a treatment for airway obstruction. And John Doe suggests that the trainer X uses this like salt. It's very prominently used. So this is just in the transcript of the, the article. So there, there's another very important part to this. So quoting John Doe, he said, trainer X had a run, had a winner last week. 
He didn't want him to run. He was on the powder and he hadn't come down. But he was under pressure from the owner and didn't think he'd win. But he pissed in. So then that incites the question, how had the horse passed the dope test, the post-race yeah. dope test? So yeah. there, there's a whole other realm of questions. In 2008, Steve Mann lost his trainer's license for a four-month period and was ordered to pay a 34 grand fine to an owner whose horse had been found to be mistreated by Mann. And all of this article, dates are very important. This Paul Kimmage article concludes with the words, seven weeks later, the IHRB inspector rushed into Steve Mahan's yard and Mahan's world came crashing down around him. So dates are very important here. Seven weeks later would be forwarded to April 2021. And we know that in April 2021, the 13th of April to be precise, that Steve Mahan's yard was inspected by the IHRB and the following June, Mahan's license was withdrawn following a referrals committee hearing which found he had neglected or failed to adequately care for 10 horses in his care. One horse was actually put down immediately on veterinary advice and the other was described um, another was described as emaciated. So he got a four-year training ban which was reduced by six months later on appeal. We know that but we kind of can assume a little bit as to what next week's Paul Kimmage article is going to be yeah. about. Well, here's the thing. Even if we don't know what's in next week's article, the IHRB will want you to think, and with some justification, that Stephen Mann is a, a witness who is not entirely independent because of his history with the IHRB. Uh, however, um, it, it is incontrovertible that if these texts between Stephen Mann and Lynn Hillier exist, and they must exist for Paul Kimmage to have, to have printed them, otherwise he'd be on legally shaky ground, then it is a perfectly reasonable contention to ask, where that trail ended. Uh, the IHRB would say, well, that's confidential. But it's a perfectly reasonable inquiry, uh, particularly if said powerful trainer is, is still training and these practices went on and and Lynn Hillier believed Stephen Mann's information to be useful. Yeah, that is um, all very legitimate. There's, there's, there's so many parts to this that are, that are pertinent. There's another part where basically um, – John Doe gets instructions from trainer X to remove a number of horses from the yard to another facility. And the next day, there is an IHRB inspection of that yard. And basically, John Doe tells Steve Mahan, and Steve Mahan texts Lynn Hillier to say, they are a step ahead of you. They are a step ahead of you. Now, since then, so since 2020, we know last summer, the IHRB got the powers from government to inspect all premises, whether licensed or not. So whether horses are moved from one yard to another, you now need to tell the uh, IHRB when you're returning horse out of training where the horse is now located. So if I move my horse to Nick Luck, the IHRB can then go to Nick Luck's yard to, to check that horse. So that is one progression that has actually been made since 2020. And I'm sure the IHRB will be keen to point that out. So let's just get ahead of them. Well, the IHRB has issued a statement now. It says it's responsible for protecting the integrity and the reputation of Irish horse racing operates within a clearly defined set of rules and powers to ensure the welfare of animals, the integrity of the sport and fairness and due process for all participants. 
It treats all information it receives seriously, impartially and fairly. I reiterate that all information is assessed and acted upon wherever possible, including if appropriate referral to other authorities. All information is treated with confidence. The IHRB has strict procedures in place to safeguard this. Equine anti-doping is a top priority and a comprehensive strategy in place. We have recently published our second anti-doping report detailing the number of tests being carried out on the track with the benefit of our authorised officer status at non-licensed venues that you were just referring to, Jane, including pre-training yards. So you're right, that's exactly what they've stressed. The number of last year being close to 6,000 in total. The work is continuing apace. We can be reached through our confidential phone line. Here it is, 1-800-855-846. 1-800-855-846. And we will continue to monitor this story. Uh, Jane, this is not this is not in any way related, and I don't mean it to be. But Henrietta Knight has made an interesting intervention in the Racing Post today, where it's asked about you know, English Irish rivalry in the lead up to Cheltenham. She's basically said Irish trainers are just much better. She's been round paraphrasing. She's been round lots of yards in her capacity as a racing manager and buyer for big owners. She just thinks the yards are better, run by better horsemen. She thinks that the systems they've got in place for staffing are better. They tend to have more experienced senior staff. And that the uh, the the horse husbandry is significantly superior. She doesn't really elaborate on what she thinks is inadequate in in the UK, but she certainly is 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 unequivocal in her belief that it's not just the horses that might be better, but it's the jockeys and most personally the trainers. What do you think to that? It's interesting, and I um I'm a big admirer of Henrietta Knight, and I'm sure she knows that but I don't agree with that because it's not that long ago Paul Nichols was dominating everything with big bucks masterminded Cotto Star and Denman it's it's all about I think the horse there are brilliant horsemen and women in the UK yes in Ireland at the moment we're enjoying an absolutely brilliant purple patch we have a system whereby through the point points you can filter the best horses and get them to the yards here but there are multiple examples of good point of pointers going to the UK just look at brave man's game so um it's an interesting point Henrietta Knight's been to a lot of yards she's seen a lot of training facilities much more than I have but I on this occasion disagree so our attentions each day this week will also turn to the world's richest horse race, which is run on Saturday. It is the Saudi Cup at King Abdulaziz Racecourse in Riyadh. And first up, let's assess the Japanese challenge with our friend uh, at the Green Channel in Japan, one of the most respected broadcasters and journalists in Japanese racing, Naohiro Goda, who's a regular on this podcast. And Naohiro, where do I find you this morning? Are you on your way to Saudi Arabia? Exactly. I'm now stopping at Doha in Qatar and now waiting for the flight from uh, Doha to, you know, Riyadh. I'm going to take a connecting flight in two hours now. So you've already you've already flown from Japan. I, I hope I haven't caught you too tired now, Hiro. How are you, how are you feeling? Well, I'm good. I'm good. I'm feeling good. I, I slept quite well on the plane from Narita to here, so I'm fine. I'm very fresh. Excellent. Fresh enough to talk me through the chances of the two major uh japanese stars running in the in the saudi cup marsh loren and and tio keens we'll start with marsh loren we obviously know a bit more about her because she won the breeders cup distaff but where did where do japanese race goers see her how good is she for for, for by japanese standards well this is a very very good question um i think you know it was the kind of the surprise for most of us in Japan, because you know, Marche Rolin is a you know 
domestic grade stakes winner at NAR, but uh, he, she didn't win any important race at JRA. So we didn't, you know, rate her as you know one of the best dad horses in Japan. So it was a uh, you know kind of pleasant surprise for us. Yeah, so maybe she she overachieved in the distaff. Maybe you'd been underestimating her. Certainly the way she travelled through the race in America didn't suggest it was a complete fluke. It wasn't as though she was right off the back and the race completely collapsed, even though that early pace was was very searching. Exactly, you know, the early furious pace, you know, helped her a lot. But, uh, you know, we understand she liked the truck at Del Mar very much, you know. It was a very, very suitable truck for her. You know, the surface in America is a slightly different with the surface, that surface in Japan. I understand Marcia Ronen, you know, handled the Del Mar that track very well. And I understand track at uh, King Abdulaziz is quite similar to America. So I do hope, you know, she is going to reproduce her form in America on Saudi Cup. That's quite interesting because yeah, the, the received wisdom is that the King Abdulaziz racecourse is slightly different from all other dirt tracks and it's just that a little bit deeper and, uh-huh. and softer. But of course, people would say perhaps the same sometimes about Del Mar, that it's a sometimes a slightly deeper track or a more unusual track or it plays slightly differently and maybe that's what that's what helped Marsh Lorraine either way do you think she's in in good form are the vibes good from from the Marsh Lorraine camp you know, after after her trip you know returning from America she was a bit tired but uh, Yoshito Yehagi gave her four weeks easy time then you know she's now refreshed and I, I watched a video of her final work at, at Rito training center which is excellent and the Yehagi is now very happy very happy with her condition now I think you know she's in top form. Okay, that's the the horse that the wider world know a bit more about. As far as Japanese race fans are concerned, is it fair to say that T.O. Keynes is the number one contender for you in the Saudi Cup? Yes, that is my understanding. And T.O. Keynes, you know, is the JRA's dirt champion, Japanese dirt champion in 2021. And his performance in the Champions Cup in December was very, very impressive. You know, the second finisher was Chua Wizard, who finished second in Dubai World Cup last year. But the T.O. Keynes was six length ahead of Chua Wizard in Champions Cup. Oh, it was a really, really good performance. And definitely, definitely, he, he is now, you know, best that horse in Japan right now. So you assess the opposition. You've seen what Japanese horses can do against the rest of the world in the Breeders' Cup. You look at the Mandaloons and the Midnight Bourbons. You look at the, the Sealy Ways and the defending champion Mishrif. Do you believe that Japan can win the Saudi Cup this year? Well, I hope so, but uh, Nick, as you told me, the competition in Saudi Cup is very, very strong. I think this is, you know, best, strongest field ever, you know, put together in Saudi Arabia. So I am, I hope, you know, either of the Japanese wins Saudi Cup for Japan, but, uh, well, I hope so, but uh, we will see. <laughs> now, here we go to there from the Green Channel in Japan. Jane, you're off to the Saudi Cup as well, like me. Are you looking forward to it? Very much so. It'll be a completely different experience for me. I've never been to the Breeders' Cup. I've never been to Maidan or Melbourne, but I'm going to Riyadh and I am very much looking forward to it. 
And you just watched Nina Carberry in uh, Dancing with the Stars again. We'd, I'd slightly lost track of her progress, having chatted to her early on in the competition. How close is she to lifting this title now? About as close as Honeysuckle to winning the champion hurdle. It was uh, a flawless performance from her this weekend. She's got the first, there's three judges. She got three tens, the first 30 full perfect marks uh, this weekend for Nina Carberry. And she just goes... From strength to strength each week, she's um, in every meaning of the word, she's a star. What a superstar she is. And have you got a tip for me for this afternoon? Yes, I'm going to Carlisle. The 225 at Carlisle is a novice hurdle. And I think Donald McCain's Silver Flyer can uh, keep up winning ways with Brian Hughes aboard. Silver Flyer was a winner of a point-to-point winner last time. And I hope he can win his novice hurdle tomorrow at Carlisle. Jane, thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget, if you do enjoy this podcast, give us a rating, give us a review, tell us what you'd like to hear more of, and we will see you again tomorrow. That was Monday, the 21st of February. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.